Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable, where we believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Brad, hello. Hi, Casey. Matthews. How's it going? So today, guys, I've been seeing a lot of articles about working from home. Obviously, in the COVID environment, the debate on does work from home have productive results for the employer and for the employee. Industry-wide experiments, obviously, going on right now. I, I saw this article on the web through Zen Business saying that work-from-home people, 48% reported to be more productive. 60% said they had improved health, and 44% or at least claimed that they were exercising more. I thought that's interesting. I'll admit, I've always thought work from home was probably not as productive as being in the office, but I have small children or yeah, smaller three kids children. running around. <laughs> right. Right. Not as small as they used to be, but enough to be a distraction. I mean, I've got a little dog. That's about it. And I mean, I think I could probably work a little more productively than you at home, but I think it's not just the work from home that is going to be kind of the transition. Now it's more remote work if you have different offices outside of the the big city office. Are people really working from home now or are they at home trying to get work done? That might be a different way to look at it. (laughs) A different way to look at it. For us, well, you had that a week or so that you stayed home, didn't come in. Yeah. I kept coming in every day. I didn't I didn't stop my routine, partially for just mental health. I, I wanted to be able to be here to focus and kind of keep distance between work and home. There was another study as well that showed what people miss about the office and the flip side of that about working from home. 22% said that they missed kind of unplugging from work, just kind of being at home and at the office all day. You never really got to escape from that. Right behind that was loneliness and it's collaboration with friends and coworkers. So you do kind of miss that environment of having the separation and being around other people. I think those two polls show that there are pros and cons to this, both from an employee standpoint and from a employer standpoint, there are pros and cons as well. So it takes really more of a mature employee and a flexible employer to make this all work. And that can fit in certain situations, but not in every situation in business today. So it's something that perhaps can be explored by certain businesses. Technology has been working towards this and the products and services that it offers to the marketplace for years. COVID had certainly provided the accelerant to try this great social experiment. It'll be interesting to see how we transition with this. I don't have a long commute, but imagine if I was riding a train an hour a day like they do in some communities, in the, mostly the Northeast, that's maybe two hours a day I have back for myself. That would make me a healthier person, not having to do that commute, have that drain every day. I think there was a growing trend where we weren't working from home necessarily, but we were working in smaller groups. The company we work, they've been in the headlines over the last few months. That setup, there are not as uh, hip as the <laughs> WeWork crowd, but Obviously, these are people who are working either as freelancers or maybe salespeople 
outside of the home office. Kind of a shared office space. Exactly. So they, ha- they go in and they share this space where they have coffee and they can interact with other people. And a lot of these people would be strangers that you're working or sitting next to that would not be good in the current COVID environment, obviously. So they, those places are taking a hit. But I would certainly see that coming back. Yeah, I saw an article saying it was from the cubicle to the kitchen table. The kind of the trend, Cushman Wakefield did a study that square footage offices had reduced from 21 square feet in 2009 down to 17.6 square feet in 2017. So there has been a trend of actually getting closer together in smaller offices that aren't those shared spaces. We have the cubicles and now discussing having the kind of the, the six foot office where everything's segmented and separated and you might not be sharing those common areas and cafeterias or break rooms. Right. Which is a whole other build out. Right. And speaking of which, if, if work from home becomes a, a greater reality, homes will have to change. I mean, working at the kitchen table is great for a couple of months if you were not prepared for that event. But if that is the new reality for a worker, just think how homes would have to change you right. know, in order to adapt to this so that a person could have a a workspace in their home plus a living space in their home. And they can have that separation that you talked about, Matthew, that people feel they don't have because they're always in their office. Right. And I think kind of growing trend, especially around uh, people my age or out kind of West Coast and technology companies, they're starting to work in the cities, but they're moving out out of the suburbs. That commute becomes a bigger difference when you're having to come back into town. And they've kind of linked commutes to unhappiness and shown that and the average American has about an hour commute a, a week or a, a day, excuse me. I mean, that equates to unhappiness. Uh, most people said that they would require an extra 40% increase in pay in order to drive an extra hour. So really kind of people are at their threshold of where they like to be with commutes. If you could kind of cut that back, you might have a, a more productive employee. To Brad's point, think about home design. So a long time ago, everyone had ranches then it was cheaper to build up than it is to build out. So all the bedrooms went upstairs. The majority of the population aged. Master on Main became the <laughs> the new thing. Now it's going to be Master on Main and Office on Main, maybe. Or I don't know. Or Office over the garage. Maybe that that's what it is. So yeah, definitely trends there. And I've already seen it on sites like Wayfair, advertising. You get the home office look. So the, the designers have already started to capitalize on this. and. And certainly the lines at Home Depot during COVID when everybody was supposed to stay home. I remember people weren't just checking out with light bulbs. They were checking out with hardwood floors. (laughs) They they wanted to make major changes because they're sitting there looking at all the stuff they've been meaning to do for the last couple of years, probably. I think that there's positive negatives. I will say that we tend to, meaning the, the media, the bloggers, the writers, they tend to draw a line from nobody's going back to work. Everybody's going to be working from home. They did the same thing in the financial crisis. Dow Zero is approaching. Don't buy any REITs in your portfolio because no one's going to be using these things in in the next five years. And that's not reality. No, Um, sensationalism sells in the media. And that's what they're doing in in that instance. Right. Clickbait. (laughs) Exactly. So kind of transition this a little bit. We think about these trends and we look at our portfolios and most firms are going to recommend that we have real estate investment trusts inside our portfolio. For our listeners who don't know what a REIT is, Brad, can you give us a uh, definition of a REIT? Well, sure. The reason that 
many professionals consider real estate as an investment in a portfolio is half the world's wealth is held in real estate holdings. So to exclude it from a portfolio is to exclude half the world's wealth in the holdings itself of real estate. A REIT is just a convenient way to invest in real estate. It's a investment in a real estate company, in a publicly traded company, who has certain requirements in order to maintain their REIT status. REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. One of the requirements is that 90-some percent of the income that the REIT receives from rentals and royalties is required to be paid out to the shareholders. And now there is about 75% of all the income they receive needs to come from real estate operations themselves. So they truly are real estate oriented and that becomes something away from that topic. In 2016, Standard & Poor's created a brand new industry sector for real estate. Prior to that, for years, it had been in the financial services group. So they recognize that real estate is a indeed an investable asset and distinct in and of itself. One of the reasons that people do invest in REITs, and not the only reason, but is because of the non-correlated returns that REITs provide from other equities. Generally speaking, that REITs and equities, publicly traded companies, have as a non-correlated return factor somewhere around 70%. So you can get 70% correlation to other equities, which provides further diversification in a portfolio. And that's really what a portfolio is looking for is a diversified return stream. And the yield as well. And the yield as well. In fact, there's really two ways to earn return in real estate investing. One, the yield through income received from rents and royalties. And the second one is through capital appreciation of the underlying properties. So if you think about REITs, in our conversation about working from home, you think you'd peel back a wrapper of a REIT index fund and you would see a bunch of commercial properties. But that's not necessarily the case. Can you kind of dive into what's inside a REIT index? Yes. In fact, the, the index as a broad-based index. It's often said that real estate houses the economy. And as the economy changes, so does the real estate index. In 2000, 75% of a typical REIT was retail, was office space, was residential or industrial. In 2019, I think the latest survey was, that is down to around 50% of a typical REIT. The other half being specialty REITs, diversified REITs, things such as data centers for technology, timberland, farmland, and other types of, like cell towers is another one. So as the economy has changed to adapt to a more technologically based economy, so has the real estate involved with that. If I look at a, a popular REIT fund, it'd be iShares Global REIT, R-E-E-T, and you peel back the layers and you look at the holdings inside that REIT, your top name is Prologis, Digital Realty, Public Storage. None of those are commercial office spaces. No, they're not. They're distribution centers. They're holding bins for companies' products. Which with online sales and retail, right, online retail, that segment would really benefit from that. Indeed, and it has. 
and it's becoming a larger piece, as you've seen, of a typical REIT investment. How has Corona kind of shaped the REIT or that specific REIT? Because like you said, it's not correlated to the market and people kind of stretching for some yield pre-Corona with the market doing well. And now how has that landscape changed a little bit? Real estate as a whole, the REITs as a whole have been, have been sold off. They have. They have recovered, but nothing like what we've seen in technology and the broad index. I think the fear right now that real estate, can people make payments, right? Right. How are these companies going to be affected by delayed payments or no payments or having to evict tenants? And most of that, what we're saying is coming from the retail sector or the commercial office sector. But then again, those are not the largest sectors in a typical REIT or REIT index right now. Correct. Right. So it seems a bit overblown. It, it perhaps is. And the other thing that the tailwind that's occurring is that interest rates are lower than they were before. And real estate is generally thought to be highly used leverage. So as their cost of financing will go down, as they refinance loans that they may have as mortgages, the appreciation and or the income received should increase. I think some of the concerns on the REITs too is if the workplace changes dramatically, the capital that has to be used to retool their properties. If it's everything's an open workspace and they need to attract new tenants, they have to tear down walls and no longer the the shiny big office in the city and more of the shared spaces and correct and, and satellite type right. offices. Or, or you might have a company that occupied twelve floors and now they're occupy six. Right. So those other six floors would have to get redone. But you have to remember too that there's leases. As a company, you don't go, yeah, I don't need that space anymore. You're usually committed to that space for a certain amount of time, and then you transition out. I think this Facebook, they said 50% of their workforce would be work from home over the next five years. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with where they are now and the cost of moving them out and the time to put in programs to monitor employees that they're not, they're their home doing something. They're not. It's pretty industry specific, though. I feel like a tech company, they probably can work from home anyways. They don't have to really have as much face-to-face or or be in the office. Very true. Very true. But to your point a minute ago, I mean, as as these leases come due, it provides that employer the opportunity to make decisions. So in in the instance where Facebook did announce that perhaps in five years, 50% of their employees would be working remotely, they probably also looked at their leases, saw a significant portion of their leases were coming due in the next five years. They're certainly not going to walk away from those leases in the middle of that term. Right. And you look at mortgages, which have nothing to do with the REITs, but individual mortgages, supposedly 30% are delayed or not paid. What I don't know is if inside that 30% number, if it included the people who didn't pay for three or four months, but then it was added to the back end and they're not counted as late, I have not been able to verify that. But I would think that lease payments are probably in the same boat right now, that there's some people behind on lease payments, which has driven some fear into that sector and in investing in, in REITs in the portfolio. I think in the short term, there's definitely some volatility inside REITs. Over the medium term, I think the consensus is, this is not just our opinion, but of people that we follow, that we're going to be just fine over the next five years. I definitely don't think that REIT is something that needs to be removed from a portfolio at this point? No, REITs are a stable long-term investment, especially in today's low interest rate environment. They provide a significant yield above that of a a guaranteed 10-year treasury. Yeah, compared to the treasury, 
like five times, yes, maybe more, mm-hmm. compared to the S and P five hundred, uh, a little over double, right? Depending on what type of REIT that you're in. Obviously, there's different types of REITs. We like a more global focus REIT, but there's also REITs that focus just here at home too, and on certain sectors within the REIT industry as well. Right. Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. Would they not be more volatile though than say the CD or Treasury, like you mentioned, kind of having those same lower yields? Well, REITs themselves are are more volatile than fixed income, even though they're often thought of as can be used as a proxy for fixed income. There should be less volatile than the stock market itself, given its correlation factor of about seven. So I think that REITs will provide a long-term growing stream of income. And in the event that the economy changes and adapts to this new world of, of either work remotely or retail that's more of a storefront and a drop-off and a distribution center on the backside, I think that the real estate economy will itself adapt to that and thrive in that in the future. How much of a portfolio would you allocate to REITs outside of Corona, outside of a current environment? What do you think a standard allocation is to real estate? Well, what we've looked at and was seen in some academic research, anywhere from 5 to 15% would be an appropriate allocation to a portfolio, given the objective of the portfolio itself. So we, if we transition out of REITs a little bit, let's talk about technology, because that has it's not directly related to the REIT, but it is in our conversation today, because if we're going to work remotely, we need the technology to be able to do that effectively. Exactly. And in that new economy within the real estate industry, technology is a huge driver of that. Data centers, for example, with servers, et cetera, is, is a great example. You're no longer having the PCs, though. You know, companies were able to provide their employees with laptops. And I mean, you know, that wouldn't have been available in the past, uh, especially with the cloud-based computing and everything. You know, you, you don't have to be on that system. You have the cloud to share between everybody. Right. Theoretically, right now, I can pretty much work from anywhere. In our line of work, clients prefer face-to-face time. But we've had people who would probably never do a video conference with me doing video conferences now. And I think what's so cool is it used to be everything was on my laptop. If your laptop was stolen, all the status on the laptop. I could back over my laptop right now with my car and have zero anxiety that I've lost anything. I could go down to the store, buy a new laptop, and within an hour, I'd be fully back up and operational again. And I don't have to carry backup drives with me, right? Everything is stored in the cloud. The software that we use is cloud-based software. You used to always worry about hard drive space on the computer. I mean, obviously, this podcast takes up a little space on my computer and maybe videos that we do, but it's not really the files. The files are sitting out there in the cloud, as we talk about, right? right? The cloud really, there really is no cloud, right? <laughs> broad I mean, term. It's a very broad term. I mean, it, there's actually a, a server somewhere in the world, probably duplicated at least three times to be up to standard, right? So you can assume Hong Kong, Seattle, and England is probably where all my data is. In a very uh, non-conspicuous, it, yes. concrete building. Yes, with lots of guards outside. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's really not in the cloud. It's, it's actually somewhere. What's really neat, though, is, again, it goes along with the read conversation because if we're going to work remotely, we have to have the technology. So, so that's why stocks like Microsoft and DocuSign, Dropbox, Ring, think about phone systems in your home. You can take an office phone here and you just plug it into any Ethernet cable and it would ring there, right? So all of these technologies are going to keep getting pushed as well as uh, we've already talked about the Home Depot, the Lowe's, the anybody that sells office, commercial office space that looks like more designer. They're going to benefit from all this change. I'm surprised you didn't mention Zoom. Yeah, I don't even use Zoom. <laughs> it's been pretty popular. Though. But Zoom's becoming like Kleenex. I was just going to say, I wonder if Zoom's going to become <laughs> kind of the brand word for online conversations yeah. and online meetings. Yeah, because you say, let's do a Zoom. When you're going to go to meeting, hang no one has, No one has said, hey, let's do a Google Hangout. They all say, let's do a Zoom, but they really mean something else sometimes. Right. They'll use something else. There's a new word that's come out, Zoom fatigue, I understand, is the new the new word where people are so tired of these Zoom conferences that they're on all day long. For me, it's hard to stay engaged. If it's a large conference webinar, maybe it's just my entrepreneurial brain that uh, chases rabbits, but it's hard to stay focused for four or five hours versus if I was there. Talking to the computer. Talking to the computer. I feel like you get more out of it if I'm there in person. So I guess I'm old fashioned when it comes to. And even from a viewership, I mean, it's like watching. TV on a close-up for four or five hours. Yeah. The movies are never a close-up for that long. But that person sitting right there on that screen is a close-up. And there's no looking away. (laughs) You know, 30, 45-minute meetings, that that makes sense. But I'd still rather hop on a plane and go see people. But then I think about the risk, not just to my family, but their family as well. On an airplane and car rental, hotel, and then I go and shake their hand or say hello to them. And am I passing something to them in this environment? But I think that's all temporary in the end. I do too. I think these are convenience methods of communication. The primary method will still be seeing each other face-to-face, one-on-one, utilizing the technology for prompt two meetings and for remote workers. It's nice. It's kind of shown that this can work, though. It may not be the same, but it, it is an option that we can kind of have in our back pocket should you need it in the future or should you have these meetings where you're not able to meet face-to-face? Certainly there's, there's been a run up in Apple and Microsoft and Amazon because of all this. We don't generally ever recommend individual stocks. We broad base index funds, right? But there are a few index funds, ETFs that focus on those segments. The technology sector ETF XLK is made up all of technology sectors and it's up 12 percent this year but that doesn't include some of the internet stocks that we think of as you just mentioned google amazon that's included in in another index called the the dow jones internet services index that symbol is fdn that's up 20 percent this year wow being all that we what we've gone through those are amazing those are impressive numbers yeah it makes you wonder if that trend will continue i guess we'll know as their revenue comes out Right. Do those multiples still make sense, assuming that they had increased revenue over this this time period? Again, the environment that we're in caused by COVID as being an accelerant really forced people to adopt these types of technological services 
to continue with business as usual for the most part. So they've really been an accelerant and made it happen quicker. To the extent that we continue with that path, we shall see. Well, I, I think in summary, what we've talked about today is we want to continue to hold REITs inside our portfolios despite a shift in how we work, partially because what's inside the REIT funds themselves is also adapting to changing times. And some of the largest holdings are no longer malls and commercial real estate. It's actually the things that are benefiting in this current environment and probably the future environment as well. And then obviously tilting toward technology and portfolios is not a bad idea either. And it's probably not a play for 2020. It's probably a play for the next 10 years. Easily. I think that the technology holding in a portfolio can go on for several years to come and continue to see benefits. Thanks for your time today, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.